0: So as you may have heard, the world is coming to an end. This is the painting The Last Judgment by Michelangelo on the altar wall of the Sistine Chapel. In 1541, when he finished it, it was recognized throughout the Christian world as portraying things to come. Christ would come again, issuing a final judgment of the human race. And these same kinds of predictions have popped up in many faiths. But in 1758, a small booklet was published, claiming that the Sistine Chapel was now out of date. The Last Judgment had not only come and gone, but had been witnessed and documented. Wait a second, are we talking about the same Last Judgment? The one with earthquakes and mountains being overturned and all kinds of drastic things happening. Where did that happen? And how did we miss it? And the world still seems pretty much the same. Did anything actually change? Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg in Life. I just want to say, before we start, no, Swedenborg did not specifically mention the Sistine Chapel in his booklet about the Last Judgment. He didn't call it out, but he did call out the subject material of that painting, and we're going to get to that soon. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm the host with the Swedenborg Foundation, and we're going to, as we sometimes, almost always do, get really deeply into a topic tonight, and that may drive you to form or have questions formed within you. If you have them, share them. We want to try to answer some at the end. If, if you're watching live, sometimes people in the chat answer each other. It's it's just good to like voice what's on your mind because you may have thought of something we didn't. So anyway, be part of the conversation. We'll, we'll try to get to those at the end of the show. All right, like I said, seat belts, make sure that they're buckled. Uh, otherwise that little ding 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 is going to happen. We are going to be really going deep into this topic and that's what we like to do. All right, we're going to begin if we're talking about last judgment, uh, let's start by talking about what a judgment is in the first place. And it's probably all confusing, uh, and I'm going to try to explain it to you part by part, but essentially, Swedenborg got to witness the last judgment. And how is that possible, and what does that even mean? We're going to talk about it now in part one. So what is the last judgment that we're talking about here today? What is a judgment in general, if you've got a last one of those? And who are we to have any say in, in what either of those topics mean? Who is Swedenborg to, to throw his hat in the ring with that? What we have already covered in this subject was in a show of ours called End Times and Jesus Christ. And in that show, we went through a lot of the things that Jesus said in Matthew 24 and looked at them through the spiritual experiences-fueled writing of Immanuel Swedenborg to look at what are the inner meanings uh, of those things, right, that Jesus said, and what we demonstrated, I was going to say proved, but I'll go with demonstrated there, was that those are not predictions of literal events to come, that they're really talking about things in the heart and the mind and the changes in, in individuals and in the human race, and it's not actually going to be these these mountains overturned and these kinds of things. However, um, what we're going to talk about today is that that kind of catastrophic stuff, this sort of stuff, um, mountains being pushed over, eruptions, crumbling of buildings and rumbling of buildings too, all this stuff did happen, but it happened in the spiritual world. And that was the spiritual side of the Last Judgment, which is really what we're going to get to today. There is also the personal side of the Last Judgment. Swedenborg does talk about an individual Last Judgment that we all go through. This would be something like uh, Near-Death Experiences, have the life review, it would be something like that. But we ain't talking about it today, we don't have time. We gotta, we gotta go piece by piece, but maybe another show about that in the future. And to learn about the Last Judgment, we're mostly going to be pulling from this book, which is called The Last Judgment and Supplements. It's not being written in 2017, but the new translation is coming out in 2017 from the New Century Edition, brought to you by the Swedenborg Foundation. So we're going to be using quotes from there as of now that aren't available yet, but it'll be available as a free download sometime next year. So hopefully this will hype you up enough that you'll be waiting uh, by your browser for that thing to roll around. So when... let's talk about what what a last judgment is, because so we, we've given all this preamble, but anybody who's had any, heard that term before, has a has an idea about it, is probably thinking, the last judgment, like it's this scary thing that happens, it's God kind of um, tallying up, how cool are we, are we, did we perform as well as he would like us to, and then punishing or rewarding. But Swedenborg has a different definition, as he does with everything, uh, of what this last judgment is. Is. You'll find this, and we're going to have to go term by term, because a lot of time he uses phrases to mean things that you don't think he means, and one of those is last judgment. So let's talk about what, what and judgment in general, what is a judgment? And Swedenborg says that when a loss of love... Or what it could also be called end times, comes in a church. And a church could be an external organization, it could be in the heart and mind, it could be a group of people that share values. Swedenborg could categorize all of those as a church, although in this book he's often referring to more on the institutional side. When there's no love in a church, a judgment happens. And we're going to go to his book Last Judgment 33 to kick it off. There are many reasons why a last judgment occurs when the church is at its end. The main one is that when this happens, the equilibrium between heaven and hell begins to fail. And with that equilibrium goes our freedom. And once our freedom is gone, we can no longer be saved. Without freedom, we are drawn toward hell and lack the option of being led toward heaven. I feel like I could unpack that for the rest of the hour, but I will say a couple things that popped out at me. One is, you notice when freedom is gone, we get pulled into hell. And this is because rather than you just drift and maybe you go to heaven, maybe you go to hell, because Swedenborg asserts, and a lot of people who have had experiences with, uh, you know, positive and negative entities of various kinds, evil is pushy. If it sees an opening, it'll go at you, whereas uh, good respects your freedom. So once the equilibrium is destroyed, hell just reaches beyond its means, pulls people in. So to prevent that from happening, we have this judgment. Also, when the the church... uh, is at its end, meaning there's this epoch of religious uh, thought in the world. Uh, the church is involved in the freedom, which is you got to go see our other episodes. But short version: what, how we think and live and feel, and and in some in some uh, senses, worship and that kind of thing, that affects the spiritual world, and we're we're affected by the spiritual world, and that, and the people coming from here affect there, and it's all part of one interconnected system, and it can be disrupted enough that human freedom, which is essential to conscious survival, can be at risk. And that's our scene that we have set here. There's, there was, at the time of this last judgment, uh, a a, a threat to everything, a threat to human existence, all right? There are judgments all the time, there are little judgments, which is like this uh, little restructuring, then there are bigger restructurings. It's sort of like a tectonic plate moving. There are little rumbles when the two of them just scoot a little bit, but when they hit this one point, an earthquake happens. So, so you can picture the last judgment like this earthquake. And it's really a last judgment, not the last judgment, because believe it or not, Swedenborg asserts that there have been true two previous last judgments in this world. Uh, and he talks about it. In his book Last Judgment 46.
1: Last judgments have in fact previously taken place twice on this planet. One is described in the word by the flood, and the other was carried out by the Lord when he was in the world. The reason a last judgment has taken place on our planet twice before is that every judgment takes place when the church comes to an end. On this planet, there have been two previous churches, one before the flood and a second one after the flood. The pre-flood church is described in the first chapters of Genesis by the new creation of heaven and earth and by paradise. Its end is described by the eating of the tree of knowledge, with further detail in what follows there. Its last judgment is described by the flood. The second church, the one that came after the flood, is also described in various places in the word, Among them, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 7 to 14. This church spread over much of the Middle East and continued among the descendants of Jacob. Its end came when the Lord came into the world. At that time, a last judgment was carried out on all the people since the first establishment of that church, as well as on some left from the previous church. The Lord came into the world to bring everything in the heavens, and through the heavens, everything on earth, back into order, and to make his human nature divine. If this had not been done, no one could have been saved. The third church on this planet is the Christian church. The last judgment we are now dealing with was on that church, and at the same time on all the people who had been in the first heaven since the Lord's time.
0: So we got ourselves a little bit of a timeline here. A, la- a last judgment is just the judgment, the the sorting out at the end of a church. When, when something, you know, God has started this project to reach the human race, it's going well, it's going well, it's not going well, people are corrupting it and using it for evil and everybody's worse off because of it, and okay, this church has met its end. There's this restructuring, this judgment that pulls it apart so that it's not causing harm and we're here on the third one, which Swedenborg says, this is the judgment at the end of the Christian church, which, you know, isn't it still going? More on that in a little bit. So we've got our our scene is set, um, and now let's move on to who exactly is affected by this, because if a last, the last judgment isn't the final judgment, God's final revenge on everyone, or the final tallying up by God. It's actually this thing that happens periodically. Does it happen to everybody? Swedenborg says that no, and that it just happens to specific groups at specific times because of the role that they're playing. And this last judgment that Swedenborg is describing in his book actually didn't include a lot of people, and they, you could roughly break them up into six groups of people, uh, That it didn't include. Uh, First, let's take a look at Last Judgment 34. Um, This is him describing a little more about what the judgment is. Since evil is outstripping good as the church comes to an end, everyone is then judged by the Lord. The evil are separated from the good, and everything is put back into order. A new heaven is set up, with a new church on earth as well, and in this way equilibrium is restored. This, then, is what the term Last Judgment refers to. And remember, and I'm going to be reminding you about this throughout the entire show, uh, this is happening in the spiritual world. Swedenborg says this judgment is taking place in the spiritual world. So let's go now to our six groups of people who are not affected by this, and this has to do with that. Uh, Okay, I'll just have to tell you about them, because we're having a little bit of trouble with our asset. Um, Let's see if I can remember them. Let's see. Uh, Yeah, of course I can remember them. Well, everybody who was was, uh, alive before the... Uh, the flood in the Bible. You remember he talked about these previous judgments. Then you had everybody who was alive before the time of Jesus Christ. So those people did not need to be affected by this. You had everybody who was going straight to heaven. You didn't need to worry about it. Uh, Everybody who absolutely did not care at all about anything good and wanted to choose hell. They didn't have to worry about it. Those are all the... We're actually going to get them repeated here. We have an interview with Dr. Jonathan Rose, who's a series editor of the New Century Edition translation of Swedenborg's Works, who is translating, I mean, editing this book. And he talks about these groups and and how they're not, that that's not something that you need to, those people weren't involved in The Last Judgment, and yet there was a ton of people that were involved in it. So here's how he sorts it out, beginning by listing those groups.
2: Everybody who lived way back when, everybody who lived up to the time of Jesus, all the good, all the evil, all the people in the world of spirits, and all the the humans still on the planet, who have you got left? You've got nobody. Who else could there be? And yet Swedenborg says that that final group was vast. So even though you've eliminated these six groups, there's still a very large group left. Well, who is in that group? That group is people who are inwardly evil but outwardly good. In other words, what drove them from within in a committed way inside their hearts was that they were really primarily interested in either seeing themselves as the king or queen of the universe kind of thing, or they were totally about wealth and they don't care who they run over or what it is, just about worldly material possessions and so on. So that's what people were about inwardly. But outwardly, these people who were subject to the Last Judgment were good. They were pious, holy, good people. They did good things for their name. You know, they weren't evil. People who were evil had already gone to hell, but outwardly. But people who were outwardly good, a lot of these people were actually religious leaders, were particularly prone to this. Because they, you know, you get a lot of glory and love, you know, the the priesthood in some of these religions is enormously powerful, has power of life and death over people's spiritual lives kind of thing. And so um, they were much admired and revered uh, for how holy they were and how great they were. And yet some of these people, Swedenborg says, were inwardly just in it for themselves and they didn't really care at all about God or eternal life or whatever.
0: Okay, so we have some of our characters here now. We have a little bit of our plot. Again, before we go forward, I've got to assert this doesn't, this judgment, this movement doesn't happen here on the earth. If you don't want to believe me, Swedenborg says it. This is Last Judgment 29, uh, where he goes a little bit into it. Um, There is, it's only a Spiritual world phenomenon. You're not going to see this happening here. He said, the last judgment must take place in the spiritual world and not on earth or in the physical world. Because the physical world is the world of effects. The spiritual world is the world of causes. If you have some kind of, um, if you have some kind of issue, you can't just treat the symptoms. Really, the physical world is more the symptoms. The root cause is in the spiritual world. So we've got to get there um, if we're going to, if we're going to be moving forward. All right, so um, what is the... we've got that, and so what is the problem, though? Why why is there this group of... Uh, or sorry, why is there um, all this commotion about a couple of people in the world? We're going to find that out in the next section, but really, the question that would be on my mind is, you're talking about this last judgment almost like it, it already happened, right? So when exactly did it happen? Let's take a look in part But first, we got our fan video. If you guys want to submit one, please do. This is uh, from one of our uh, best buddies and, and she has some cool things to say about regeneration and correspondences. Get yours in. You could be featured maybe on the next show. So here it is.
3: Hi, my name's Kate and I'm from the UK and I'm doing a job in the garden which is making me think about correspondences. I've been given some topsoil, which I don't know if you can see is, there we go, is um, pretty rooty and stony and full of it really. So I've been busy sifting out all the root and all the rubbish and I've been sticking it in a bag all to take away to the tip. And I've been left with this lovely Fine tilth, and it's made me think of regeneration because um, that's what's happened to me this year in a big way. And um, I have received forgiveness of sins from God and from myself too, because you have to forgive yourself. It's not, and I started with this. Ended up with this, and as you can see, there's still a few odd. well that's a worm. But there are still a few of the odd. We want the worms, roots and things to be sifted through again through a finer, through a, through a finer um, sieve. But um, it's an ongoing process, a lifelong ongoing process. Um, but that's what's made me think of Swedenborg's correspondences and. And thank you, off the left eye, for explaining it all so beautifully.
0: So circa means approximately when. You know, you can say, hey man, my birthday was circa today, and that means it was... Or sometime around today, you'll see in history books. I'll say circa 1685 or something. So we want to know when was the last judgment? But before I reveal that, I want to. I'm, I'm not sure if I've totally convinced you of how important uh, this judgment was. This is a moving around of specific um, problematic. religious people in the spiritual world. And there's a good reason why they had to be moved. Actually, those leaders that Dr. Jonathan Rose was talking about, that are just kind of in it for themselves, it's not just that they're there living their lives and causing no harm, even beyond the people they're interacting with and deceiving the way that they were thinking and feeling and acting, their intent, their spirits, were actually causing this form of spiritual pollution that was affecting everyone. So here's Dr. Rose again to talk about that.
2: A lot of these people, and sort of the central group as Swedenborg describes it, were Christians. But, he says there were also Muslims, there were, there were Jews, there were people from all the different religions in you know other parts of the world. Uh, it seems that every religion kind of makes sense, is prone to this (laughs) go through the motions thing where you're really inwardly, you're in it for yourself or you're in it for the money or something, but you make it look like you're a very holy person and you really care about people's spiritual lives. Uh, Every religion is prone to that. And so people from all those religions over those 1,750 years who were this way Inwardly evil, outwardly good, were accumulating in such numbers, such masses of millions and millions of people accumulating in that world that they were actually like a spiritual smog that was blocking out the sun, blocking out the love and the wisdom coming from the Lord into this world to the point where people in this world could hardly think anymore They could hardly make free choices about whatever because this spiritual smog was blocking everything. So even though they were only one group out of seven up there,
0: it was a vast group and they were causing a lot of trouble. And they needed to go. That's that impinging on freedom that we're talking about. Not not only does it affect the spiritual world because the spiritual world is connected to the physical world, it affects all of us here. Everybody's threatened by this. This is why this is... it's like a blockage in an artery leading to the heart. Like, even though it's relatively small compared to the whole body, it's got to be taken care of or nobody's going to survive. All right, so there's our issue. And how do we resolve it, and most importantly, when do we resolve it? It was this issue that Swedenborg says was being dealt with in the book of Revelation in the Bible that was a foretelling of this spiritual problem that was going to come up from these corrupted religious leaders in the future, and when writing about it, Swedenborg makes the offhanded comment in Last Judgment 44, uh, by way of a preliminary. I should at least mention that everything in the heavenly meaning of the book of Revelation has now been fulfilled. Meaning, the last judgment happened. Did you miss it? It happened, and it happened in 1757 when he was writing that. By the way, it's all finished. So how... How is that possible? And how does... first of all, how could that have happened without anybody noticing? And second of all, how did Swedenborg notice? Well, the answer to both is it took place within the spiritual world. Like I said, within the world of causes, this is where the problem needed to be rooted out. And because it was in the spiritual world and Swedenborg happened to be on this trip where he could see into the spiritual world, he got to witness it and document it. This is from Last Judgment 45. A last judgment takes place not in the physical world, but in the spiritual world, where everyone who has lived since the beginning of creation is together. And because this is the case, no one in the physical world can tell when a last judgment has happened. Everyone expects it to happen here, believing it will change everything in the visible heaven, meaning the sky, that's just a way of saying the sky, everything in the physical world and the whole of humankind. And that's, a lot of people still have that, that, um interpretation today, right? People are waiting for this last judgment. To prevent the people in the church who believe this from continuing to live in ignorance, to prevent people who think about the last judgment from having to wait for it forever, because it can be disappointing, wake up again, we're not getting judged today, which will lead in time to an erosion of their trust in the things said in the literal meaning of the word about it, and therefore to prevent that many from losing their faith in the word... I have been allowed to see with my own eyes that the Last Judgment has already taken place." Isn't that a point, sort of a mockery for the people that believe in the Bible? Everybody's saying the Last Judgment's going to happen, it's going to happen, they predict it, but it doesn't Doesn't happen, doesn't happen, doesn't happen. He goes on, The evil have been cast... This Now he's describing what happened. The evil have been cast into various hells, the good have been raised into heaven, and in this way everything has been brought back into proper order, restoring the spiritual equilibrium between good and evil, between heaven and hell. I have been allowed to see from beginning to end how the last judgment took place as well as how Babylon was destroyed, we'll get to what that means, how the people meant by the dragon were cast into the abyss, how a new heaven was formed and a new church established in the heavens, the church meant by the new Jerusalem. I have been allowed to see all these things with my own eyes so that I could bear witness to them. The Last Judgment began early last year, 1757, and was carried to completion by the end of that year. So if that was your uh, senior year in high school, yeah, it happened while you were taking classes. It gets very specific. Not that the spiritual world has the year 1757 in it, but that in the physical world, that's when he started to see it and it was done by that end in the phys- in the physical world. And I don't know exactly how the two worlds sync up, because as he said, the spiritual world doesn't have time, but he seemed confident in reporting, in physical time, this is when it started, this is when it ends. So he witnessed it, and he saw that the spiritual uh, judgment in the Last Judgment had to do primarily with four main groups, and their gr- religious groups. However, just dividing people up by religion can be clunky and offensive and and cause problems at times. It's good for us to remember how heaven looks at groups, religious groups, and we actually covered this in a previous show using one of the the greatest tools available to man, and that of course is a pie chart. So let's take a look at what we did with that chart. We have a pie chart here, and this is how some people want to break up the world. You say, oh, well, you know, there's Christians and there's Muslims and, and there's non-religious people and so on and so on. But really, that's not a good way to break it up. A more accurate way would be this. I talked about there's a heavenly mindset and a hellish mindset, and we labeled it with this trait wor- these trite words, nice and mean. So I would argue, and the the crux of the show is that you look at the left column, nice Christians, nice Muslims, nice non-religious people have more in common than nice Christians and mean Christians have in common. So if you break the world up like that into the heavenly mindset within all these different groups and the hellish mindset within all these different groups, then you start to get a more accurate dividing line. Uh, I was just trying to make that transition as smooth for you as possible. Do you understand? We're not talking about taking whole groups of people and making moral judgments on them. There are within all groups, as we all know if we've interacted with those groups or belong to those groups ourselves, there are the good and the bad within it. This last judgment was all about the bad that was afflicting these various groups, and specifically the major religious groupings that have sprung up since Jesus had built, uh, had, had been born into the world, because as we saw earlier, there had been previous last judgments that dealt with that stuff, but not since the time of Jesus. So it was everything that happened since that judgment when Jesus was in the world. So that's what we're looking at, getting the evil out of these groups that have formed and we're clogging up the spiritual world. And that was done through two methods, which were assessment and judgment. Assessment being people's true character revealed, separating the good from the evil. Judgment, in being the consequences of people's true character. And that's a good way to put it, because in Swedenborgian terms, it's not that God is handing out punishments. It's that if you are involved, evil holds within it its own punishment, Swedenborg says. If you are involved in evil, there are these side effects, and judgment is just really clearing things out. So, uh, you know, we all just start to gravitate toward what we truly love, rather than kind of faking things around and causing problems for everyone. It's just a clearing out, getting everybody really where where they need to be, and even even for evil people, where they will ultimately be, be happiest and safest and all those kinds of things. So let's hear a little more about how this took place. This is Last Judgment 47. That judgment was carried out not only on all the people from the Christian Church, but also on all the people called Muslims, also on all those of the other religions on our planet. And it was done in the following sequence. And he, he definitely lays it out in time. First it was carried out on the people of the Catholic religion, then on the Muslims, then on people of other religions, and then finally on the Protestants. And not only does he give you the timing of it, he actually divides it up geographically by area. Um, and, and this is spiritual world area we're talking about, but we're going to show you a map of where these groups lined up. So he said, And remember, this is spiritual world uh, directions he's giving you, so each direction has meaning. It's not just like here, you just go north. It has to do with mindset. Essentially, he talked about Protestants in the center of this judgment. Um... He gives even a few specific countries. He says the Germans were on the top, the British in the middle, the Dutch, the Swedes, the Danes, because these different countries had differing mindsets as a whole. There were many other countries, but he doesn't give you specifics on those. He says that the Catholics were in a ring around the Protestants, mostly a little more to the West and South, though, and that has meaning divided by countries as well. He said Muslims were Uh, bordering the Roman Catholics, but again more towards the south and a little bit up towards the west. And he said around it all there was this vast ring of everybody from all the other religions um, just grouped. He didn't bother to to sort of sort those out. And then around them was a sea. There's not just a picture of water there because it looks cool. It does look cool, but he said there was a sea. So this is almost a bird's-eye view of the symbolism of this judgment and what it was. So. We have that, and he is claiming that these, this judgment is f- this fulfillment of the things that you find in the New Testament of the Bible, and we're going to show you a little bit of what he means by that. For example, he talks about those four groups that you just saw in that wonderful map, uh, and there's a passage that we're going to show you here where it talks about four winds that are gathering four groups of people. There's a passage, a pretty famous one, about the separation of the sheep and the goats. That's in Matthew 25. And Swedenborg has an explanation for how that relates particularly to this spiritual world event. So we're just going to give you the Bible quote, then the Swedenborg right in a row, and we'll, we'll show you. You can, you can um, sort of download the link yourself. It should be pretty self-explanatory. So here's, here's we'll begin with Matthew 24.
4: He will send out his angels, and they will gather his chosen people from the four winds, from one end of the heavens
1: to the other. In the Word, the four quarters of the spiritual world are referred to as the four winds, and the gathering of people from them is referred to as a gathering from the four winds.
4: All nations will be gathered before the Son of Humanity, And he will separate one from another, the way a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will set the sheep on his right, and the goats
1: on the left. This means that the Lord is going to separate the people who are both seeking truth and doing good from the ones who are seeking truth but not doing good, since in the spiritual meaning of the word, the right and sheep mean goodness, and the left and goats mean truth. The judgment was not carried out on any others, since the evil who had no interest in truth were long since in hell. All the evil who at heart deny the existence of the divine and reject all belief in the church's truths are cast into hell after they die. Therefore such people were already in hell before the judgment occurred. The first heaven that passed away was made up of people who were seeking truth but were not interested in doing good, and the new heaven was formed from the ones who were devoted to seeking truth and to doing good.
0: A quick note on being cast into hell. Swedenborg often phrases it like that. He says they were cast into hell, they were thrown into hell. However, nobody gets thrown into hell. According to Swedenborg, in Heaven and Hell, he talks about how it seems like... In the spiritual world, somebody gets thrown into hell, but actually, when you understand the causes of things, it's their own desires driving them to... they are jumping into hell. And sometimes head first, because hell is... has this evil in it that attracts them there. So even though he goes and it sounds like your average vengeful god, there's something very different going on here, which is people are almost self-sorting according to what's deep in their heart. You gotta know that that Swedenborg you gotta know the whole to understand the parts because he'll often say things that sound different than what he means once you understand the whole of it. All right, let's move on and we're going in this we're gonna do one more of these quote pairings, and in this one we are introducing a very important character, which is this false heaven, which is called the first heaven here because the first heaven and the first earth pass away. So you'll see sort of what this is and then we'll go into more detail about this false heaven and the role it played. So this is from Revelation 21.
4: I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away.
1: The first heaven does not mean the heavens made up of people who became angels from the time of the first creation of this world up into the present, since that heaven is steadfast and will endure forever. In fact, once people have been received by the Lord, they can never be plucked out of his hand. Rather, the first heaven means a heaven composed of others, of people who had not become angels and in most cases proved unable to become angels. It is called a heaven because the people in it lived together in high places on rocks and mountains. They pursued the same kinds of pleasures they had enjoyed on earth, but no spiritual pleasures. Many people, as they come into the spiritual world from the physical world, believe they are in heaven when they are in high places, and believe they are experiencing heavenly joy when they experience the kind of pleasures that they enjoyed in this world. That is why the word referred to it as a heaven, but a first heaven that was going to pass away.
0: And we're not gonna stick with that terminology of the first heaven because it's confusing because Swedenborg talks about a first, second, and third heaven. We're gonna call it the false heaven from now on. But do you understand the premise of it? There's this heaven that's not really a heaven, but it seems like a heaven. If that's not clear enough, we're going to give you not one, but two diagrams to sort this thing out. Let's first look at how do you get a false heaven in the first place? What pre-existing conditions can lead to that? It's essentially that there were four kinds of people leaving earth going into the spiritual world, and let's break them down person by person. So first, upper left, you had people who had... it's all about truth and love. So you got truth and love or falsity and evil and how you're mixing and matching them. Some people had good intentions and basic truth. They had, they knew what was right and wanted to do what was right. Okay, that's our first category. Next, you have people who are the complete opposite. They have evil intentions and false beliefs. So there's a pairing there of the evil desires and the rationalizations, the incorrect rationalizations that make that happen. However, there can be mixing that goes on. There were some people who had evil intentions, but also possessed some truth. or They knew some of the some religious kinds of knowledge. And then there's the reverse of that. People who had good intentions, but trust in false teachers and leaders. So they had the good, but they were led into falsity. Now let's look at how these four groups make up a heaven. So let's moving to our second diagram as promised. Here we've got heaven at the top, hell at the bottom, right? And then you've got the world of spirits in the middle. You're probably familiar with that setup if you know Swedenborg a bit. But here we've got this false heaven in between, It's not actually in heaven, it's sort of in the higher parts of this world of spirits, but people there thought it was heaven. It was in touch with some of the lower heavens because of some of the truths that they had there. It's there and it's messing things up. You can see that big shadow in the world of spirits was cast by this false heaven blocking the light. From heaven. So let's look at how our people, our four people we talked about, go into making these things up. So first of all, the people who had good intentions and basic truth on the top, they just go right into heaven. I mean that that's like heaven's in your heart, heaven's in your mind. You don't even spend really time in the world of spirits, so you can't get trapped in this thing anyway. And in the converse, people who had evil intentions and evil thoughts, they just like pant for hell. They want to go. They don't want to mess around with anything but where their deepest love is. But these mixed groups, they end up in the middle. First, you have these guys that have evil intentions but have truth. These would be those religious leaders who, all they want to do is dominate and gain wealth. However, they know theology, they know that the impact it has on people, and they were really the driving force behind setting up these false heavens, because they knew how to use the truth that they had, which truth is very powerful in the spiritual world, they knew how to use that to create these heavens by leading this next group of people astray, because these people... They have a good heart, but but can be deceived, and we're specifically deceived by these people that are on the other side of the mountain there, these people that, that were intentionally misusing the truth, because those the people with good intentions knew the truth was something, and they, they really followed these people, and they began to get into this false heaven, and that was how it was made. Does that make sense? And that's a condition that existed for a long, long time. Uh, this was building up as the Christian church was getting more and more corrupt in various areas. Um, this heaven was building, and it was causing more and more problems. And you might have wondered, why didn't, you know, sh- sh- the Lord's got to have some kind of motion sensor in heaven, right? Where he can notice, Ooh, what he got tripped, let me check on my phone, oh, somebody's making a false heaven. He must have known that it was happening right away. So why didn't he just just break it up right when it started? Why didn't he just zap the whole thing? Well... There's a parable that Jesus Christ tells that, that sheds a little bit of light on that. It's about uh, wheat and the tares. And the, do, you, do you guys know that one? Well, we have uh, Dr. Jonathan Rose back to explain a little bit about how that particular parable relates. And it has to do with these false teachers. So he's going to begin talking about them.
2: A lot of these people were clergy. It's a special... Uh hazard (laughs) of, of, you know, an occupational hazard (laughs) that when you're dealing with religious and sacred things uh, you can get into this sort of false heaven situation where you're inwardly evil but outwardly good. The reason this group was so persistent in the spiritual world is that they had bonds with simple good people who were actually in heaven. The simple good people, there are very sophisticated, deep and profound, you know, thinkers in heaven or whatever. But there are also just simple people who are just doing, doing good works and they don't want to really think too hard about it as just, you know, how things appear is probably the way that they are and that's enough for them and they just go ahead with it. So these evil people who are outwardly good had a lot of sway over these simple good people. They, The simple good people looked up to them, and, oh, no, they're great. They're the great so-and-so, and, you know, they wrote this amazing book, or they did whatever, and so they were much loved by these simple good people. And so there was a bond between them. That parable of the tares and the wheat is about the fact that if you had done this prematurely, if you would pulled these people who are inwardly evil but outwardly good away, it actually would have ripped out half of the people who belong in the lowest heaven, because they were bonded to each other. And in the spiritual world, that bond of love is a very important thing. It's sort of the glue that holds the thing together. So you can't just sort of, oh, we'll just cut off this part and throw it away. No, it doesn't work that way. It it was a very complex process to try to take these people out of the picture and deal with them while also preserving these other simple good
0: people and not ruining their situation. So that's why time had to pass, right? But eventually enough time had passed, there was enough of a problem, that something tipped and we entered this last judgment. And here's where we get into the the intensity of what Swedenborg witnessed, and we're gonna take you along for the ride in part three. That's an Overturned Mountain so we're giving you a little preview right there and in this section we are going to be talking about different groups of people and we're going to be talking on about those groups of people based on the, their religion offensive yeah that's offensive i mean it's just like cause a lot of problems you don't really do it but we're going to do it we're going to do it for a couple of reasons first swedenborg does it and we got to get we guys got to you know sail where he sails, right? But also remember the pie chart. Whenever things get tough, remember the pie chart. We're not talking about a whole group of people and saying we know you're all good or bad, this is your character. No, there is diversity within these groups and where this judgment focuses specifically on this column here. All of the negative sides of these groups were causing these problems, and this is about getting out of that. So each group, while everyone's an individual, there are certain evils that certain groups were prone to, and Swedenborg talks about that here. So that's why we're doing it. It doesn't mean that everybody who's in those groups is bad, and it doesn't mean, since all those groups pretty much are extant today, It does, you know, this is talking about in 1757. So you can still write letters to us, but just know that's where we're coming from. All right, so let's do this and, and hopefully get something good out of it that brings us all, us all closer together. And we're going to have a focus in this episode on Christian groups, and that's because Swedenborg focused on Christian groups, and that's because there was this focus on them in this particular judgment. He said this was a judgment at the end of the Christian church, and we're going to get into what that means. And we're going to begin our, our, our judgment tour with Roman... Catholics, the good versus the corrupt. We're looking at the sort of purging of the spiritual world, uh, Roman Catholic Church, or the people that had come from that organization into the spiritual world, into that false heaven, and how did you get the good people out from under the sway of the bad people? Swedenborg asserts that there was evil that had crept up into the Catholic Church by his day, and that evil was referred to in the Bible as Babylon. Um, However, that particular evil that, that is called Babylon, it didn't start with the Catholic Church. This is something that had been haunting the human race for its whole existence, pretty much, and it popped up in many different forms. So let's hear what he says about it a little bit, Last Judgment 54. Babylon means everyone who wants to use religion to control others. So that's what your Babylon is. Trying to use religion to control others is trying to take control of their souls and therefore their spiritual life itself, using as means the divine principles of the religion. In a general sense, then, Babylon means all people who have control as their aim and use religion as the means of achieving it. Which, as we know, is certainly not the exclusive domain of the ca- of the Roman Catholicism of Swedenborg's day or even prior to that. That's something that people have been doing since just about the beginning of the human race, and the first symbol that had to do with it in the Bible was the Tower of Babel. And we did a show about that, and that show was about the genesis of people using religion as a means of control. But what Swedenborg is asserting here is that that desire, that Babylon, was reappearing in the leadership, primarily, of the Roman Catholic Church, or some of them. He talks about it further in Last Judgment 55, the book the babylon the book of revelation is talking about though is the present day babylon it began after the lord's coming and as we know is found among catholic priests it is actually is that offensive not offensive uh yeah that's probably offensive um offensive. so <laughs> yeah thank you um that that he's just saying that because we can pull that quote back up um but he just wanted to stop and point out how offensive that is well he's he's saying It's not among all Catholic priests, and his readership is probably primarily Protestant, but he's making the point that this does exist. And we we know even today we can see scandals within churches where we say, oh yeah, these were bad pastors. It doesn't mean everybody who's ever picked up that particular faith tradition is like that. So that's what he's saying there. All right. So moving on from that, it is actually more destructive and atrocious than the Babylon that existed before the Lord's coming because it profanes the church's inner forms of goodness and truth, which the Lord revealed to the world when he revealed himself. So he's saying that there was a lot of Harm being done by Babylon manifesting through the Catholic Church, and he said actually the the horror of Babylon i don 't know if I can say that when the kids are watching was was a symbol of that corruption that had gotten into the church, and everything about her all the details are correspondential uh, having to do with the the various problems that had infiltrated that church and he said it was primarily the leadership and not all the leadership but a portion of the leadership that were that were um succumbing to this sort of corruption, and he was kind enough to make a list of what he felt like those corruptions were. Now, this is not, you know, look at me, do I look like a, a historian? We're, we're not saying that this is 100% accurate, or that this is the final say on what that church was like, people might argue either way. This is his list as he made it in the book. He says that in the 1700s, authorities claimed they held the power to forgive sins, grant entry into heaven, save whoever they wished, put a price on salvation, give Christ's power to the Pope. And he was saying that those things were being abused and that those things were causing a lot of problems. But he doesn't even stop there. There are many more infractions. He said... He accused them of falsifying what the Word said, keeping people in ignorance, not allowing people to read the Word for themselves, performing Masses in language common people couldn't understand, which he was all about, you connecting personally to the text, so that was a no-no, presenting decrees of Rome as superior to decrees in the Word, making people depend on the faith of the Church authorities instead of developing their own faith, so this sort of top-down authoritarian religion, diverting faith in the Lord toward faith in other people and things, such as the Pope. He thought he was exceeding his bounds, extorting confessions from people, keeping people terrified of hellfire and purgatory. So apparently religion is not supposed to do that. Imprison and punish anyone who speaks against church authority. The Inquisition, we we all pretty much uh, agree that that was a bad thing to do, but it had been done, you know, under this, this modicum of control. Gather great amounts of wealth and power. And he said all that Religion has no place doing those things. So, he, he called out that, um, but he said that the thing was allowed to continue. You know, it wasn't just broken apart by the Lord, because even despite all that, there was good being in sort of a roundabout way done, and jo- Dr. Jonathan Rose has a little more to say about that. A lot of the people in this false
2: heaven were clergy people. They were they were preachers, they were religious leaders of of various different denominations. And these clergy people in order, simply from a totally self-centered point of view, in order to have power and control and to be sort of worshiped and adored by the masses, were preaching a message that people needed to hear which is a message of like, you people, you really need to do good. You need to live good lives, help your neighbor, all this kind of stuff. They were putting out this message. They were wildly effective as evangelists. They were saving millions of people. Millions of people went to heaven, Swedenborg says, because of these evil preachers in the spiritual world. So they were doing a lot of good. But when the last judgment came, it was important for everybody to realize, no. These people are just in it for themselves, and you can't go on indefinitely in a situation that's really not where your heart is. We we all land sooner or later in that situation
0: where our heart truly is. So it couldn't it couldn't keep going on. And another reason that Swedenborg gives for why this situation with corrupt leadership was allowed to go on for as long as it did is that he, God was trying to give the leaders a chance. To, to repent, to change, because nobody is, uh, you know, a throwaway project to God. God is not against anyone. God wants everybody to succeed uh, and come to what's healthy and, and good, and you know. So it's not at all about, okay, you're on my, you're on my naughty list. I'm gonna get you. You know. So God is trying to give everybody as much chance as they can possibly have. So you have this problem, and again, we're sort of interchanging between the physical and spiritual worlds. But that's because they're so connected. You have the Catholic Church in Swedenborg's day. You also have all the people who are dying out of that church, populating the spiritual world. Not only that, the spiritual world and the physical world are affecting each other. So you have thought coming come, come, coming out of the spiritual world into the physical world. So there's this intertwined nature to, the, to even to these church organizations. However, the judgment. Is happening in the spiritual world, but the badness in the spiritual world is reflected and coming from the badness in the physical world. Makes sense? Great! Cool. Last Judgment 61. The destruction came about after an assessment because the process of assessment always precedes. The assessment process involves both an investigation of what people are really like and also a separation of the good from the evil." So we're talking about this, the judgment or the destruction. "...the good are taken away and the evil are left behind. Once this process was completed, immense earthquakes occurred, which made people aware that the last judgment was at hand. Everyone everyone, was then seized with trembling." So, in the spiritual world, things actually did get apocalyptic, and we're going to look through some of the scenes that Swedenborg describes happening in the spiritual world, And re- but do remember, as I was saying before about people cast into hell versus diving into hell, it's not just God is reigning destruction, this is everybody's... Uh, everybody's own desires coming out and like living out their full consequences, and people can be jumping into what's evil. It's really just a separation. So while it's dramatic imagery, it's not the same as God just coming in and smashing people. This is what it's like when evil is... the restraints are removed and evil uh, is let um, into its own and good is taken to safety. So here are some of the scenes described in this part of The Last Judgment. So we see, we see a lone silhouette being taken down into hell, and Swedenborg actually remarked that, that particular there's one particular spirit mentioned who was claiming to be God and leading people astray and causing all kinds of havoc. This spirit was unmasked and as such brought down um, out of the heaven, into the hell, where they're actually, their mindset was. So it's really just a sorting of people to where they really... Um, come from an essence, rather than where they're kind of climbing up to and appearing. So remember, though, it's not just everybody, you know, the good people, the people that weren't causing harm, were actually liberated by this event, the people who had been sort of enslaved by the, this false heaven. They were saved. This is the Last Judgment, 63. Catholics who had lived reverent lives and were devoted to doing good and who, although they did not know truths, felt a longing to know them, were rescued and brought to a particular area toward the front of the western region on its border with the north. There they were given places to live and were established in communities. Then they were sent to some Protestant clergy to teach them the word, and as they learned it, they were received into heaven. Offensive. Yeah, that's offensive because it doesn't seem like... that. I really appreciate those stamps. That really um, keeps me uh, from straying too much. The reason that that's there... Swedenborg says, is really more function than it. The Protestants are not uh, better than the Catholics, as we'll see at the end of this. They had all kinds of problems of their own as well. However, Swedenborg was asserting that that at that time, Reading directly in the Word was not really done in the Catholic Church, it was done in Latin, so regular people didn't have access to it. Protestant clergy, one thing they did have going for them was they read the Old and New Testaments in people's languages and so could teach those people. So it was really a functional thing, it wasn't meant to be saying one church is better than the other, but, but either way worthy of a stamp. All right, so the spiritual... but but this whole dramatic thing happened and it was only because there was a good reason, because there would be a good effect coming from it, and the effect was essentially that the spiritual world was now much more free than it had been, and this is Last Judgment 62. So the world of spirits has now been freed from people like this. And the angels are overjoyed at this liberation because the people of Babylon were burdening and leading astray as many as they could, even more there than they had in the world. This was because their trickery was more vicious in that world, since they were now spirits, and any malice in someone hides itself within that person's spirit. Because the spirit in each of us is the part that thinks, intends, strives, and plans. Many of them were examined and were found to believe nothing at all. This is many of those corrupt leaders. Their minds were found to be obsessed with a heinous desire to lead people astray doing so to the rich in order to gain their wealth, and to the poor in order to gain power. Because this was their purpose, they kept everyone in the deepest ignorance and closed off the way to the light, and therefore to heaven." That's the problem. If you're preventing people from getting to heaven, you gotta go. This is not acceptable. You you you, you have to get charged for something like that. And that's the essence of evil is that it was for power and for money those are the two sort of roots of evil as swedenborg describes it uh, and that, that that was why they were twisting this religious truth just to get those things that's you got to not do that you got to not do that so That's only one part of it. There were judgments on all other groups of people as well that were mentioned. Swedenborg actually spends a lot less time on the non-Christian groups, so we'll just breeze through them as well. He has a little bit to say, though. He talks about Muslims next in order. Again, we have the good and the corrupt, and how are they separated so that the good can go free without this sort of caging influence. Let's take a look at what he says. This is Last Judgment 50. As for the judgment on Muslims, it took place as followed. The Muslims were led from the places where they had been gathered, in the southern part of the west, remember the diagram, by a route that took them around the Christians. They went from the west through the north, all the way to the southern borders of the east, and along the way the evil were separated from the good. The evil were thrown into swamps and lakes. Many of them were also scattered in a kind of desert on the periphery. The good, though, were led on through the east to a very spacious land toward the south, And were given places to live there. So it was this journey that was taken primarily to separate out the people who were causing harm, so that the the people who were not, who were living in harmony, in the heavenly mindset, could do so unharmed, and set up a new life in a new land. And all those directions mean something. You know, the south has a meaning, the east has a meaning, so that gives you clues about what the journey was, but he doesn't spend too much time on it. He also goes pretty quickly over all the other religions uh, in in the world. He says, there was a judgment carried out on them as well, but there is some nuance in it, so we want to take a look at it. This is Last Judgment 51 to 52. Um, The judgment on those of other religions was carried out almost in the same way as the judgment on the Muslims, except that they were not led around in the same kind of circuitous route, but rather along a sort of roadway in the West. There the evil were separated from the good. The evil were cast into a pair of vast chasms that sloped down into the depths, while the good were led over the central region where the Christians were, toward the area in the eastern quarter where the Muslims now lived. They were provided with places to live. These were behind the Muslims and beyond, stretching far out into the southern quarter." All this direction stuff. We've done a couple shows about distance in the afterlife, but we'll have to do some more about the directions and the maps and everything. For now, you know, there's relative directions from, from where he was, and fr- essentially God is the reference point if you're behind or before in, in the south or the north. It's all based on your relationship to God. However, people of other religions who, who in the world have worshipped God in human form and have lived caring lives and, according with the principles of their religion, are joined to Christians in heaven because they, more than others, acknowledge and revere the Lord. Lord. The Lord, you know, check out our show, The Divine Trinity, to learn a little more about the Lord, or how to understand the Trinity. That's, you know, this this human manifestation of God. The most intelligent ones come from Africa. Now, that could be a little insulting to everybody who's not from Africa, but we won't quite put the stamp on it, because I do want to say it was remarkable in Swedenborg's day for somebody um, in Europe to have such a positive perspective on people from Africa. There was a lot of uh, exploitation of people from Africa at that time. So for Swedenborg to say that, uh, he said that African people just had this propensity to have a deep kind of spiritual knowledge, and so they, they took to the things of wisdom readily. So that's, that's part of what, what he's saying there. The number of Muslims and people of other religions I saw was so immense that it would, have, it would have to be counted in millions. Yet the judgment on such an immense number took only a few days, because once people had been brought into their own love and faith, their true nature was instantly determined, and they were taken to kindred spirits. These events established the truth of the Lord's predictions about the last judgment. Then they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God." And even not having some of the the things that were plaguing the Christian religions, uh, they weren't having these falsified truths, they actually could get processed more easily and more quickly. And that brings us to the other half of Christianity, to the Protestants. Uh, And this we're going to see the separation of the good and the corrupt within Protestantism, which is Swedenborg's own people. I mean, this was his tradition. His father was a Lutheran bishop. He was raised Protestant. So he is in that group. So you'd think he'd say, oh, they, they didn't need anything at all. They were great. They were God's favorite group. No, he, he has a list of what he considered very serious um, grievances with how Protestants were acting in his day. And he he listed those as well, which we will mo- push on to you here. So... Uh, Corruptions of Protestants, Swedenborg said in the 17... Swedenborg's list of corruptions in Protestant leadership in the 1700s. That's like a cool sort of album title. uh, Attended... He said that they attended church claiming to believe in God, but thought nothing of sinning against God with adultery, stealing, lies, revenge, hatred, etc. Now, this is not every Protestant. You know, obviously Swedenborg had people he admired and liked within that world. He's just saying this is the problem area for this group of people. They read the word but paid no attention to the rules of conduct written there. They listened to or preached sermons, so both behind the pulpit and in the pews there, but didn't apply them to life. They attended the Holy Supper and worship practices, but didn't improve their daily conduct. So, and those are all pretty related. It was, you're talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk. You, you say, hey, isn't it so great? I'm, I'm Christian. I'm going to help you out. But you're mean. You're a mean person, and you're hurting each other and hurting people of other religions, and it just wasn't a heavenly place. So that, that was a problem. And he describes it further in Last Judgment, continued number 16. And, or continuation, if you've been paying attention, you might say, wait, we've been reading from Last Judgment. What's Last Judgment continuation? Well, I'm glad that you asked. We went straight to the source, the New Century Edition, our friend, Latin consultant Cardam. She cleared up what we're reading from right now.
3: In 1758, when Swedenborg published his bestseller, Heaven and Hell, he also published Last Judgment. Five years later, he published little supplements to both Heaven and Hell and Last Judgment. So So, that addition to Last Judgment is referred to as Last Judgment Continued or Continuation on the Last Judgment. In the Last Judgment, Swedenborg says that there's too much to tell, so he'll tell us more about it later in Apocalypse Explained. Well, that's what he was doing in that five-year interval, but the whole project got canned, I don't know why. So he takes some of that information that he had been telling us about in AE and tells us about it in Last Judgment Continued.
0: And that's how we got to where we are. So without further ado, Last Judgment Continuation number 16. He's talking here about the 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 corruption Protestantism. So they lived externally as if devoted to religion, while internally there was no religion in them. These are the people meant by the dragon in chapter 12 of Revelation. It says there that the dragon was seen in heaven, that it fought in heaven with Michael and pulled down a third of the stars from heaven. These things were said because their declared belief in God, their reading of the word, and their outward show of worship enabled such people to be in touch with heaven. This is how you make a false heaven. You have some elements that are heavenly, which kind of bonds you to that and just causes a all these problems. The same people are meant by the goats, by goats in the chapter 25 of Matthew. They were told not that they behaved wickedly, but that they had failed to do good. All these fail to do good deeds that are really good because they do not shun evils as sins. Even if they do not do evil actions, they still think them permissible, and so do them in spirit, and physically, too, if they can, if they're not held back by fear of the law or reputation and stuff. So the Protestants' main issue was what Swedenborg would call faith alone, or or faith without love. Religious piety, external devotion, but you're not really acting like, like you love people and that you love God. And that, again, was not invented by the Protestants. This is something that has been going after humanity almost from the beginning, and the first time that pops up in the Bible was Cain killing Abel. We did a show called The Modern Cain and Abel, Cain representing faith, Abel representing love. So that was the first time that faith really killed love, and now you have this same principle re-emerging through Protestantism, and Swedenborg says actually the dragon in Revelation was a symbol of the ferocity of that and of all the harm that that kind of mindset Was doing. And he talks a little bit more about it in the last judgment, continued number 18, where he goes a little into uh, the problem with it. All who externally lived as Christians while paying no heed the Christian conduct were outwardly united with the heavens, but inwardly with the hells. And that causes problems, that lends itself to the creation of these false heavens, and so there had to be a judgment on it. And in that judgment there was all the kinds of stuff we saw in the Catholic judgment. There was dramatic um, seismic events, there was whole communities being uprooted and all that, but there were some specifics with this one that we wanted to get into, so we're going to show you a couple of things that happened in the Protestant judgment. So. We had the higher heavens coming closer, which began to expose the inner nature of evil spirits. You even had angels visiting communities, urging people to change their ways, warning them of the coming judgment. A few would listen, but most were hostile, and they actually tried to attack the angels. Swedenborg also describes a protective cloud that appeared between the false heaven and the real heavens, to prevent the, the real heavens from being caught up in this turmoil that's to come. So even there, there had to be some kind of barrier. Spirits... In this false heaven, who had been acting externally like moral Christians, now started to break out into quarrels, riots, crime, and blasphemy. They began to look actually like devils. Swedenborg describes them as sooty, black, or fiery, or sometimes pale and gray like corpses. You notice at the beginning, it said, all that happened was the higher heavens came closer. That's all it was, you know. It was just that heaven came in. It's not that God is punished As soon as heaven approaches evil... It's like, it's like, it gets too agitated to stay contained anymore. You become ha- what you really are, you know, how you really think and feel, not when you're putting up a mask. And that was what was happening here. But even so, God is not harming these people. God is not punishing them. Evil is being let loose and it's causing the harm. Swedenborg asserted this in Last Judgment Continuation 28. The Lord never brings ruin on anyone. Right, so that that's a theme throughout Swedenborg. He God is not attacking anyone, but only protects His own, withdrawing them from contact with the wicked. Now, that might sound like well, there's a particular club that's God's people. That no, His own means people who who have accepted Him essentially, and not just by verbal or being part of a particular religion, but have accepted the way of life of love. This is we all know what it is. People who who work towards selflessness, towards helping, towards um, shunning what's harmful, everybody who's living the life of charity or of kindness. That's who Swedenborg is referring to in this phrase. When they have been withdrawn, the wicked follow their own appetites which lead them into every kind of crime. Then all those who were about to be destroyed were seen together looking like a great dragon with a long curving tail lifted up toward heaven and lashing on high in different directions, as if it wanted to destroy heaven and drag it down, but its efforts were in vain." So there you have that dragon being represented by all this pent-up evil, that was there was sort of this external facade of, yeah, we're, we all like each other, but, but really, no, that's not how it was. So that, it's just the removal of the good and the allowing of evil to really be set free, that's what causes all of this chaos. It's not God with a hammer smashing people. And good comes out of this. We're focusing on the negative side of it, but again, with the Protestant judgment as well, a lot of good came out of it. And Swedenborg describes it in the Last Judgment Continued, 30 and 31, so here's a clip of that.
1: When the last judgment was completed, there was joy in heaven and such an increase of light in the world of spirits as never before. The light in the world of spirits was due to the removal of those hellish communities which had come between like clouds overshadowing the earth. A similar light also dawned on people in the world, bringing them a new enlightenment. Then I saw a vast number of angelic spirits rising from the depths and being lifted up to heaven. These were the sheep, who had been kept back and guarded by the Lord for centuries past to prevent them from coming into the malign sphere of the influence emanating from the dragon people and having their charity stifled. These are the people meant in the word by those who came out of their graves and by the souls of those slain for bearing witness to Jesus, who awoke from sleep and by those of the first resurrection.
0: Again, we're talking about what happened in the spiritual world. It's not that angels came to cities in this world and then those cities were destroyed. Judgments don't happen in this world, so some people think that, oh, a hurricane came and hit somewhere, that's because God's angry at us for something. Judgments do not happen in the physical world, that's not how it works, this is all in the spiritual world. So you may be asking yourself, why have you been going for more than an hour now telling me about the spiritual world? I live in the physical world. Is this not relevant at all to the physical world? I want my money back, or I want some money, since this was a free program." We will get to the physical world, because you can't have something that big happen in the spiritual world without something happening in the physical world. But obviously, the mountains are still here, we don't see uh, angels and dragons and that kind of thing. But what do we see emerging after this Last Judgment took place? We're going to take a look in part four. It's a lot of drama in the spiritual world. 1757 was a huge year beyond the veil. But around here, Swedenborg says you probably didn't even know that it was happening. This is Last Judgment 73. The state of the world from now on will be very much the same as it has been up to the present. So he's saying even though this happened in the spiritual world, there's not going to be a huge change. This is because the immense change that has taken place in the spiritual world does not impose any change on the earthly world with respect to its outward form, the way that everything appears. So the business of civil life will go on afterwards as it did before. There will be times of peace and treaties and wars as there were before, and other things characteristics of communities on both a large and a small scale will continue. However, as for the state of the church, though, this is what will not be the same from now on. It will be similar in outward appearances, but differently with respect to what lies within. Outwardly, the churches will continue to be divided as they have been. Each will continue to put forward its own body of teaching as it has in the past, and the religions among non-Christians will continue to be much the same as they have been. However, from now on, the people in the, the church will have greater freedom of thought concerning matters of faith and concerning spiritual things that have to do with heaven because their spiritual freedom has been restored." Everything in the heavens and in the hells has now been brought back into its proper order. And it is either from the heavens or from the hells that all our thinking in favor of divine principles or against them flows in. We do not notice this interchange or state, though, because we do not reflect on it or know anything about spiritual freedom or about inflow. It is perceived in heaven, though, and after we die we will perceive it too. But before we die, you saw there, he said, our thinking is affected by the spiritual world. So you have an event like this, it affects our thinking. A picture overcast day you got clouds covering over everything this was the situation in the spiritual world, which is the mental world meaning our thoughts and feelings are affected by the spiritual weather so we all were under this gray sky here and then imagine sun breaks through just imagine that in the mind can you feel that in the mind that's what happened to the mind of humanity this sun came in and enlightened us. I mean, that's where we get that phrase from, is this spiritual phenomenon. So we got enlightened by this, and it affected the human mind. And if something affects the human mind, eventually that's going to come out into the world, because human minds have a big impact on the world, don't they? So we thought we would try to guess. He doesn't give us specific effects in the world, but there was a book put together by a group of Swedenborgians called The World Transformed, which was looking at what could potentially have been effects that came out of this Last Judgment and this new opening of the mind. What, what did it do to our minds and how did it affect us? And how did it affect things like religious thought? Well, we sat down with the editor of that book, Dr. Dan Sinisfet, and he told us a little bit about what people had been thinking perhaps were signs of this, and we're going to begin by what he said about the change in religious thought.
5: And so the consequence of this is people now after 1757, they are freer to to begin new religious movements. They people experience revelations. They 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 start new denominations, even if it's within the same uh, general religious family. Um, and there's uh, we we see that I mean America is a good example of that. All you know all kinds of new religions, but but they they continue to grow too. Um, and Swedenborg says. you'll see the old religions and the old denominations will continue, um, but they won't necessarily remain unchanged. Uh, They could still be there, but the spirit behind them is going to change. So along with this new diversity of denominations and religions and choices, uh, you know, this is the spiritual freedom that people experience, but that doesn't mean that people will automatically be more spiritual or be more pious or religious. An increase in freedom also means that we could choose to be atheists, to not follow any particular religion, to be naturalist or materialist or some kind of agnostic. Um, It just means that it's clear what our choices are and we can really think about why we're choosing what we're choosing and weigh the evidence and explore all kinds of scriptures um, and really examine what our options are.
0: So there's within religion this new sort of mobility and this freedom, but since 1757 there have been other ways that that human thought has exploded since that, I mean, we're talking about literacy, uh, access to education, thought within education, standards of living, all this stuff has gone up, you know, not universally, but overall. There's been this great um, expanding of that the the way people are educated, um, how how much the human race knows, how many how what percentage of the human race can tap into those, is that is that proliferation of of sort of light in the mind, is that based on this, is that a consequence of this opening? Of the minds and from all of this this access to education and new ideas and thoughts obviously comes some of the amazing technologies that we've built and Dan had a comment on that as well
5: so some other consequences um, and and partly as a result of the increase in in knowledge and its availability and this emphasis on figuring out what's true and how it can be useful and applied are things like tremendous technologies um, That, in some ways, bring the natural world a little bit closer to the spiritual world.
0: That might seem like a strange comment to you, but if so... We have The Remedy. Check it out. We made a whole show about that, how the spiritual world is like the internet, how this technology that you're watching this show on now is a lot, functions a lot like Swedenborg describes this spiritual world back when he was talking about it in, in 1757 and before. Um, but that that's one part. But may, Perhaps the most significant potential impact of this Last Judgment comes in the form of human rights. And we're going to go back to Dr. Sinisfet for for his thoughts on potentially what could have emerged um, because of this judgment in the realm of us treating each other well.
5: Another aspect of the consequences of the last judgment I would say and and, and this is also really important is that human beings are deserving of special kinds of treatment. Um, There's been an increasing awareness of the problems of um, dominating people, suppressing people, oppressing people, Um, preventing people from developing as the good Lord intended them to develop. And so we've seen since 1757 uh, an increased awareness of, for example, the stages of human life and particularly, for example, childhood and how childhood is a special time of life and there's innocence in children that needs to be fostered and, and nurtured. Um, and so, you know, it's a time when when parents need to pay special attention to their children, not treat them like miniature adults, um, let them play, not make them do hard labor, for example, work. So the the, the number of children in labor uh, in the workforce has, has declined um, over the last 200 years. And again, that's not even all around the world, but in general, you know that the trend is fewer children um, having to work uh, and more children, you know, becoming literate and and being educated um, and children, you know, being protected in certain ways, uh, which frees them up to become healthy, good, hopefully happy adults. Uh, we see the same thing, I think, with with uh, women's history too, that there's a, a recognition that um, women have been taken advantage of, exploited, dominated, and there's an increasing recognition that they too need to be free. Uh, they need be free to develop. And so we see an increased amount of political freedom for women, economic freedom, social freedom, social mobility. We see the same thing just in general uh, with the whole human race men, women, children, uh, when it comes to an issue like slavery. Uh, And again, the change was incredibly rapid. So that, you know, if you had stood on a street corner in, let's say, 1600 or 1650, and said, I think we should abolish slavery, no one would have believed you. I mean, it's just a crazy idea, because slavery was an institution for millennia human beings had enslaved each other around the world, different cultures, many cultures around the world, and philosophers and other people have rationalized it too. Oh, we've got to have slavery because the, the economy will collapse if we don't. Um, or, well, these people are just naturally are inferiors, and you don't want them to, you know, have an equal say. Uh, we're the superior ones. And yet, in the 19th century, <laughs> pretty rapidly people wake up to the evil that slavery is and make start to make political and economic changes to get rid of it uh, or to again decrease it and and now there's still some slavery today but it's gone way way down over the past 250 years
0: and that's where it gets real we're talking about those angels and Protestants and, or, is this thing gonna get kicked out of here in a false heaven? If that really was what led to the spread of human rights, we're talking about a, one of the po- most potent, coolest things that there that there are. So th- that, if that's really an after of this, then that last judgment was more amazing than actually if there have been mountains exploded and crevices opening up. This was a bigger shift. If there's going to be something like slavery that was around for thousands of years and then suddenly everyone's just like, no, we, we don't want to do this. This is, this is terrible. We're not going to do it. That's, an, that's a seismic shift in the world of the Spirit." So we don't know if those were the after-effects of it. Even Swedenborg and the angels, even the angels that he talked to at the time, didn't know the specifics of what the future would hold based on the Last Judgment. They knew something good was going to come. They they couldn't say, though, this is exactly what's going to happen. So we can just do our best to look. We do know that these cycles, though, will happen, of these things getting worse, uh, and then there needed to be a last judgment. This was something Swedenborg already knew even before it happened in the spiritual world. This is from Spiritual Experiences two two five five nine. so this is into his journal of Spiritual Experiences. He was talking about this cycle. The Church is like a human being having a soul and a body, as does heaven also. The symbolic church, which consists on, consisted only of outer observances, represents its body, for which reason it will also die, so that the inward church may come forward, which likewise will die, so that the more inward one will come." And that is in 1748. So before this whole thing, he's saying, listen, this has got to happen. We've got to move through this. Humanity is growing up. These, these churches need to be um, you know, they need to grow up too, and you need to put away what's, what's causing problems. So, so this is it's not something really to grieve it, it had to be part of the whole thing. Uh, and you know, everything goes in cycles, and where we're headed is the exciting part. And Swedenborg talks about that in True Christianity 726.
1: In the Lord's sight, the church appears as a single individual. Just as we do as individuals, this universal human will go through its own life stages. It goes from childhood to youth and on into adulthood and finally old age when it dies it rises again the lord says unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it stays the way it is but if it dies it bears much fruit it is part of the divine design that things proceed from beginning to end this is both a pattern overall and a pattern in smaller increments within the overall pattern This design allows for the variety of all things, and this variety allows there to be qualities of all kinds. The quality of anything is more perfectly assessed through its contrast to things that are somewhat its opposite and things that are very much its opposite. Darkness allows us to appreciate what a wonderful thing light is, and coldness allows us to appreciate what a wonderful thing heat is. Likewise, Falsity allows us to appreciate what a wonderful thing truth is, and evil allows us to appreciate what a wonderful thing goodness is. I have been told that the churches and all their varying approaches to goodness and truth are like all the different gems in a monarch's crown.
0: So that's what it's about. It's not just about the negative aspects that we've been focusing on. This is about the positive aspect. All these different churches have something wonderful to offer all all the individual churches, you and I, and the way that we think we can all be these little precious stones that are making the whole uh, just that much more splendid. <laughs> that's a good word, splendid, all right? Okay, so there's our show. That's The Last Judgment, and that's what came out of it. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to avoid being judged right now, please like and subscribe. Who writes this stuff? Please like and subscribe and that helps our video get out and it may be that somebody was really curious about Last Judgment And this is the right video for them at the right time. This helps push us out through YouTube If you want to make Mildly offensive program like programming like this possible, please consider making a donation. We're a nonprofit So we got to have money coming in in order to, to, to offend people. So here's here's our a little more on our philosophy on that
4: We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone anytime they need them That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving, to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins.
0: All right, so time for the questions. We said we'd do them, we're really going to do them. What, there's no questions? This was totally clear? Oh, no, there's tons of questions. All right, let's do a few of them here. Uh, Let's take a look at our very first question now. Francis, are there people who are inwardly good but appear outwardly evil? Uh, I would say yes. Well, I mean, first of all, there's just so many different kinds of people, but Swedenborg does specifically mention, well, he talks about... Acts. Uh, he, he's, he gives an example of people who make like, um, this is not very evil, but make like sort of derogatory jokes or something or crude jokes or something. And that, that from a heavenly perspective, two people can be doing the same kind of thing, but it looks completely different because one person inwardly, you know doesn't have the same kind of malice in it that somebody else does or it's not an indicator of the same sort of things. So you certainly can have somebody who seems like, oh yeah, they they're they're messed up. But you never know. That's why Swedenborg says you can't make spiritual judgments, which the close which means you can't really judge motives or say what someone's spirit is like. The closest you can say he says is if you really are inwardly like you appear to be outwardly, then you're a bad person. But we don't know, and 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 only God knows really what somebody is like deep down, because we don't know what they inherited, what kind of what they're dealing with, how that what what's really behind their expressions. So yeah, you don't know. There very well could be somebody who is on a path to heaven, but is doesn't seem like it at all. So. Strange, strange world that we live in. But great question. All right, let's look at the next one, Charles. How does this perspective fit with the Great White Throne judgment in the Book of Revelation? Oh, okay. So we did um, a show about um, the end times, which covers a little that we are actually going to be going through the Book of Revelation. It's not. You saw how long it took us to do this show. You know, we. It's not a short answer. Uh, something like that. So we are working on the book of Revelation uh, and and what that all means. This is, he says in, he said in this episode, Swedenborg did through us reading them, that everything in the book of Revelation has now been fulfilled, so there are internal meanings to that. Uh, You know, like there's the, mm, you know, I don't want to start to go into specifics because I'm not sure if I'd be getting them right, but there's like the sword that comes out that has to do with the truth. Uh, Anyway. There's a lot to it, so I'm going to kind of cop out of this one. Very sorry, but but um, you can check out Swedenborg's books, um, uh, Revelation Unveiled, or I think the old translation, which is out right now, is called Apocalypse Revealed. There's also Apocalypse Explained, where he did, he, which he didn't publish, but he goes over the whole Book of Revelation. So there you can get into the details. Of those, um, or if you if you have a, a there's some search engine sites you can type in the the keywords from there. But but the, he covers the whole thing in those books. All right, thanks very much for the question. Sorry about that. Next one, awkward life ninety four. The if the main influence in Swedenborg's day was Christianity, is it wrong to question that his experiences are shaped by his own beliefs instead of truth, whatever that is? I don't think it's wrong to question anything. I mean, you you gotta you gotta. um come at it with, this whole show is about the spiritual freedom that was awarded to people. So we have the freedom to look at something like a Swedenborg and say, what do I think? Do I think that he's tapping into this universal truth or do I think that that he's been colored by something? M- do you want my personal assessment? I can give it to you. Okay. Nobody, you don't? I'm going to give it anyway. Well, it's this. Is it... What I have come to believe, based on a long series of reading Swedenborg and processing and chewing it over, is that he is describing a universal truth in very Christian terms at times. Sometimes it's not very Christian, but what I mean is there are things that when you first get into them, like before I was saying like the cast into hell thing, um, it can seem very much like he's... Fitting certain Christian tropes about stuff, but really, when you know the whole theology, he's talking about something that's universally applicable and transcends that. Um, it doesn't always seem that way in the language, but I think he was tapping into this universal truth, but but languaging it in terms uh, in the terms of his tradition. Um, so, not that not not that he's coloring it from that, but that. That's that's how he spoke about it, and and you can fully speak about the whole thing from Christianity. I I bet you could write the same truth from the perspective of another religion, um, but I think he. So yeah, it's one way to render the truth. Anyway, those are some of my thoughts on it. But it's a great question. I'd say I want y'all to check it out and and think about it and, and see what rings true. You know, don't don't worry too much about questioning stuff. If you know. If we're up here saying don't question this thing, then we're exactly the Babylon that we were worried about in the first place. So, thanks for thanks for thinking about it. All right, let's take a look at at one more. This is from Angie Curtis. Would you agree that it that it's happening right now and will continue to happen? I feel the world is moving further towards heaven. I would absolutely agree, and I, I I'm glad you asked that because I don't know if I made that point. It's not like it's over. Um, Swedenborg even talks about that some of the things that are predicted have to do with this this new church, or this new era for humanity, that hasn't fully come yet. And I, I certainly don't think we are done advancing. You know, there's a lot of good left to be done, and it still seems like we're we're trying to pull, and you know, not not all the world has experienced this, the benefits of this stuff, so we want to make sure everybody's on board. So I certainly think 100 years from now, we'll be in a better place. It may not be a continuous, there may be some dips in it. Around the world you see, like, you know, you, you go up towards freedom, but then it's down, but, Overall, I think our trajectory is up. And yes, we ain't there yet, but hopefully we're getting there. Thanks, everybody! Now, there were a lot more questions than that, and that's been the case like every single week, which I really appreciate you guys taking the time to ask questions and caring enough about the material to ask them. You know, we're all humbled that we we even have an audience for something as weird as the, the Last Judgment already happening. We're going to try to get to some of these questions and we're going to do it in a systematic way next week. We're going to do a show. It's, we've done these like question panel shows before where we all talk about questions you ask live. This week we're going to try to go in and just take questions you've already asked that we missed and explain those question by question so we're going to try to do that so we've got your questions from this show if you want to try to ask them just put them in the comments we'll try to put it again we're not going to be able to get to all of them but we are going to try to just give you a whole hour's worth of here's questions answered because we really do appreciate you asking them so hopefully you'll enjoy that that's going to be next week and we'll be posting it same time Uh, so hopefully see you then